Users are always going to tell you kind of incremental things. They're always going to tell you they want this better. They're never going to tell you they want the iPhone. They're always going to tell you, can you make my BlackBerry keyboard slide out instead or whatever, right? Those inputs are going to usually improve the product, but they're not going to help you create like a leapfrog product, right? You're listening to Gradient Descent, a show about machine learning in the real world. And I'm your host, Lucas Bewald. William Falcon started his career training to be a Navy SEAL before becoming an iOS developer and eventually the CEO of Lightning.ai, which makes PyTorch Lightning a very successful ML framework. And Lightning AI, which is an awesome website that calls itself the OS for machine learning that we're going to talk a lot about today. This is a super fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. I thought it might be fun to start with your background. We don't have a lot of people that went through Navy SEAL training on this podcast. So could you tell us a little bit of your story and how you came to found uh, Lightning? Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm originally from Venezuela. So I don't know if people know that. I'm actually born and raised there. So English is my second language, which is why you hear me slip up today in a few things. Um, Code does not care what language you speak, which is great. Um, so yeah, so I moved here when I was in my teens and then um, eventually uh, ended up going to the U.S. military and I went through SEAL training, uh, BUDS, right? So I was there for a few years. Um, if anyone knows BUDS, it's in classes 272 and 277, which is great. And um, yeah, you know, I came, uh, came out injured actually. And so I basically got stashed on one of the SEAL teams that does a lot of uh, intelligence work. So um, it's a very interesting team. So I also happen to speak Arabic from just fun, I guess. And so there's a lot of cool stuff that we're doing there. And um, when it was time to go uh, for me to go back into training, um, this is when we pulled out of Iraq in 2012 or 2013. So the Navy gave me an option to leave or become a p- pilot or something. And I chose to leave. Um, maybe uh, if I'd seen Top Gun, I would have stayed as a pilot potentially. But um, it was a great time. And um, yeah, you know, we did a lot of a lot of good work there and uh, very, very happy about the time. I think it really set me up for success for everything I did afterwards. I like didn't care about school until I left the military, turns out. <laughs> and then how did you get into machine learning? So I was at Columbia um, doing my undergrad and it's around 2013, I want to say. And basically people started telling me about this machine learning thing and I wasn't um, super into math or any of this stuff back then. I started my degree as computer science, and you know, for some reason, the CS part was was fun, but it wasn't the most interesting part. I really gravitated towards math at some point, and um, I think if you were doing anything with statistics or math in 2013, and you were touching code, it's like impossible not to run into SVMs and random forests and all this stuff. I remember taking my first neural networks class, and they were like, "Yeah, you got this image," and it was it was an you know we've all seen this MNIST thing of uh, with that Jan put together back in the day with like a carousel music, and I was like, "I don't know why this is useful. Like, I don't see the value of this." <laughs> and then many many years later, you know, um, I ended up working with Jan as one of my PhD advisors, and yeah, so. At some point in my undergrad, I went into finance because, you know, it was it was interesting, I guess. And um, and I went there to try to use deep learning on the trading floor. And, you know, finance today is probably maybe not so allergic to deep learning anymore. But back then it was right because of the, all the observability problems. So um, so I, I didn't love that. And so I went back to school and got into computational neuroscience. And that's really where I learned about deep learning and got 
um, really, really into machine learning. And um, so really the scientists trying to decode neural activity and trying to understand how the brain works. So uh, I still care a lot about that. And that's uh, a lot of my drive is really the, the pursuit of science. But I find that, yeah, a lot of the tools are really limiting to enable science to advance and, and do what it needs to do. And then, but then what were you seeing when you started Lightning? Like, what was the problem you were setting out to solve in the very beginning of it? So I, I don't think I was like explicitly, when I, so when I started Lightning, I was still an undergrad, right? So this is around 2015. I was doing my research and it, I wasn't like building Lightning for Lightning or anything like that. It was just my research code that I had internally. And what I was trying to optimize for was how do I, try ideas as quickly as possible without having to rewrite the code over and over again, but in a way that doesn't limit me, right? Because as a researcher, the worst thing that you can do is you can adopt something and you spend six months going to research and then suddenly the last few months you're like blocked and you're like, oh my God, I have to rewrite everything. And then it discredits all your results. So flexibility was like the number one thing that I cared about, right? And um, so that, that's a lot of what I was solving. And over the years, really, I mean, I, I did open source until 2019, so it took about four or five years to get there. Um, what once, like, what I did during that time was just try so many different ideas, right? So my first research was, like I said, neuroscience. Um, a lot of that was using GANs and VAEs. Then after that, I moved into NLP, right? When I started my PhD, so uh, so Cho is one of the the main authors on the seek to seek and attention paper. So my first thing was to implement attention from scratch and a seek to seek network and all this stuff, um, and learn you know which is very rough if you guys have uh, ever tried this. <laughs> uh, it's not it's not trivial. I know Lucas has implemented this a bunch of times now. <laughs> I tried to do it once and I agree. It's, uh, it's non trivial. Maybe it's not quite as hard like daunting as it seems at first. I don't know. I guess there's probably like less resources when you did it. Yeah, I mean, you know, back then you're writing everything yourself. Uh, nowadays, there's like attention heads and all the stuff you can plug in. But, you know, there you're like calculating your own stuff. And then, uh, you know, PySource didn't support certain things. So you're like blocked. And um, and it was it was really confusing. So it was it was rough. And then we took that and then we started working on complex. So, so Cho also introduced GRU units, right? So we started working on complex GRUs. And the idea there was to help you know, eliminate the need for, like, the, the eliminate gradients from exploding or, or zeroing out. And so complex numbers can help you do that, especially for audio, right, with, with some normalization techniques and all that. But, um, you know, complex numbers is not something that PyTorch supported really until like a year ago. So, you know, little old PhD me, I'm like sitting there and I'm like, okay, and I have to implement this whole complex number library, which I did and it's open source, uh, super slow. Don't, don't use it. Use the PyTorch one. It's better now. But, you know, it's like willing to do what it takes, I guess, to get the thing done. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, through all those learnings, um, eventually ended up in computer vision and self-supervised research. I think if you work with Jan, there's no way you don't do self-supervised learning at some point. Um, and so I kind of fell into it and this is like 2019, I think before it like blew up. Well, you know, before the world found out about it, people have been doing this for many years. And, um, and so all of that stressed us to lightning, right? And so that, that was pretty flexible by the time that it got open source, like I knew you could do a lot of this stuff. And then when I joined fair, it was a lot of like, oh, can we use it for this or that? I'm like, yes, of course you can. Let me show you how. And it just took forever to explain all the possible ways you could use it. And today, I think it's obvious that it can work for pretty much anything. Um, but it wasn't back then. And, you know, we still learn as we go sometimes. And some, some someone finds that it's not flexible for something and we fix it and we move on, right? But um, it's a long process. It's taken a lot, a lot of years to get here. So when you go back to 2015, 
was PyTorch um, like actually like uh, like in use at the time? Like it was just Torch, right? I'm trying to remember like what years these things came out, but certainly an unusual choice to build on top of PyTorch and in 2015, if, that, if that's even possible. Like how, how did that happen? Well, so my original version wasn't on top of PyTorch. So I had actually started in Theano, right? So basically what happened, I was using Theano and sklearn mostly. So I think I did what everyone does where they like, they take the model and they add the dot fit to it, right? And then you start like building off of that. Um, and so that was my original version and that was Theano, right? And, um, and Theano, if you, have you worked on Theano? I don't know when you started, Lucas. You know, I, I I think I might have touched Theano, but I I um, very little. I think I was using Keras on top of Theano. If that if that dates me, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. So so I got I got really annoyed at it. Um, I mean, I think it was great to show proof of concepts for sure. So um, so I started using Keras immediately, right? Um, and I think that helped me unblock a lot of stuff. But I got very at some point you end up running into limitations, and I'm sure that's changed. But back then that was true, and um, and so that happened and. That's what I was like, fine, I guess I have to go and get into TensorFlow. This, I was like trying to avoid it, right? And so my first version actually was built on top, on top of TensorFlow. Um, but the second that PyTorch came out, which was a few years later, I rewrote it all in PyTorch. And, um, and mostly because it just felt more mathematical. I could like see the math. It was easier, right? Whereas in, in TensorFlow, you had this this like duplicate layer where it was like a meta language on top of the thing, um, which again, that's changed since then. But back then, that's kind of the world we lived in, right? So yeah, it was very experiment. Uh, it, you know, Torch back then was very hard to work with. Uh, oh, sorry, it was easy, but it's, uh, it, you know, installing and things like that was really difficult. <laughs> that's really interesting. So like, were you at all inspired by the way um, Keras did things? Or do you feel like your um, Lightning was sort of in, in contrast to parts of Keras. Like, how did you think about that? Because I, I sort of feel like Lightning plays a similar role to PyTorch as Keras, you know, plays to um, TensorFlow. Do, do you feel like that's too simple or wrong? Yeah, I mean, I think when, you know, when when I first released Lightning uh, and we put it on the, on the Torch thing, I called it the Keras for PyTorch because at a high level it kind of looked like it, but it, it really wasn't, right? So I may I may be the cause of this confusion, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but yeah, like I just said, you know, I use Theano, I use Keras, I use uh, TensorFlow, I use uh, sklearn, right? So a lot of my inspiration obviously comes from a lot of these things. Um, before I got into machine learning, though, I was uh, an iPhone developer. So I worked on iOS for a long time, right? And so a lot of these ideas that people bring in as callbacks and all these things are actually ideas that have been introduced in Objective-C since the 70s, 80s, right? So if you work on mobile, if you work on web, you've been, you've been exposed to these ideas. So I would say a lot of my inspiration really was, I think the, the t- like API simplicity, like the .fit kind of thing, um, came from most likely sklearn, like I would say. Um, and then I think that a lot of the, um, the callback and things like that, I was actually very opposed to callbacks. Um, turns out like, you know, a lot of the hook names, and even if you see the way I've named things, a lot of them are inspired by like Objective-C and like these super long names that Objective-C. Actually, you told me you, you started with Objective-C, so I, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, but um, yeah, it's a lot like super long syntax names, right? <laughs> I'm a little surprised you like Objective C. Like I, you know, I feel like most people they hate it, and and I think like one of the reasons people tend to hate Objective C is the verbosity. But 
it sounds like you, you see the the sense in it. Yeah, I mean, the verbosity makes us, I don't have to think about it, right? Like, I, I hate when names are so short and you're like, what do you mean by this, right? Like, Objective-C is like, did, you know, view did load on this and that and that. And you're like, that makes sense. I, I read this whole thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think I think like you know all of them did did inspire me and I, I would say I, I think something I really liked about Keras was kind of the feedback that you get right so the summary tables and all of that like that's inspired by Keras as well um, so I would say it's a combination of a lot of things right um, but I would say most of my most of the things that I've really thought about really are kind of driven in that fundamental like Objective C worlds and like that iOS worlds right. Um, and in fact, if you look at Lightning apps now, the, the new abstractions that we put into Lightning, a lot of them are kind of similar to that, right? So they they have a lot more elements of that. So um, so yeah, I think over the years things have evolved, but no, I think Lightning's taken um, kind of its own soul and its own thing, and it's uh, it's started to become kind of its own paradigm that. Um, you know, I hope that does become a standard in the industry and I hope that uh, it does inspire a lot of other people and especially in their APIs and how they write things, right? Because I, I do think it works and scales. So uh, I'm not offended if people grab the APIs and, and do something with them because it means that, you know, at, at the very least we standardize ML, which is a win for everyone, right? So, What's a part of the, the Lightning API that you feel super proud of that you feel like was different than, than what was around when you built it? Yeah, so I mean, I, I would say the the main two things in Lightning um, are the Lightning module and the trainer, right? And I think those are the two that everyone uses, and those two together allow you to abstract most of it away, right? And so I think that's that's really what I'm proud of. I think I'm proud of the the trainer. Um, really, I think has changed a lot, right? And it, it's starting to become a standard across many other things, you know, outside of Lightning because it is it is a good API. Um, and I think um, it's just the, the simplicity of it, right? The ability to see what's happening, change things, and just see magic happen. So, um, so yeah, and, and I would say, like, probably, honestly, the, the new stuff that we just released with the Lightning Work, Lightning Flow, and Lightning App, you know, it's taken us a few years to, to really think about this and figure out how do we take those ideas from, from building models and how do you generalize that to building full end-to-end -end ML workflows, right? Research workflows, re uh, production pipelines, all that stuff. And that's just not an easy thing to do. So we wanted to do it in a way where it was not, um, it felt lightning. It like it has a spirit and the DNA of lightning and you you feel like you're using lightning where you're using it, right? So, um, so I, I'm very proud of that. And that's something that was a team effort. I mean, all of it, all of this, by the way, has been a team effort collectively. Um, I think I've I've seeded some ideas, but there's no way that we would have been here at all without the community and, and the team here at Lightning specifically. Yeah, I totally want to talk about the the Lightning um, launch that you just came out with um, recently. I'm, I'm I'm super impressed by by what you did there. But I guess I'm curious um, before we go into that, like. I remember a moment where I think PyTorch had something called Ignite, I think that was really similar to Lightning, or at least the PyTorch team thought it was similar to, to Lightning. I'm kind of curious. You were actually working at Facebook, I think. Were you working at Facebook at the same time that Facebook is also sort of making a somewhat um, competitive um, piece of software to you? And was that, was that awkward? Like, do, do you have any sense? Like, did, did it feel competitive at the time? So two things. One, uh, Ignite is not done by PyTorch and it's not a Facebook product. It is a third party product where all they're doing is hosting the docs for it, right? So it's not actually built by Facebook or PyTorch. Um, it just seems that way because of the way the docs have been structured. Hmm. 
So that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is, uh, you know, I was a researcher and a student, and I was literally trying to build papers, not build software for machine learning. So I wasn't like sitting around using tools and looking around at stuff, right? So I had no idea that they were in a round. I had no idea mostly it was around. The ones I've used are the only ones I like literally knew about, right? Um, you've been in research, like I'm sure there's like a ton of stuff that you're like, oh, that's cool, but like never used it because I don't care because I'm doing my research, right? Totally. <laughs> so I think it's a pretty normal thing for researchers to be pretty narrow focused. And I think uh, it wasn't until it got launched that people like Alfredo and everyone else was like, oh my God, it's kind of like this. I was like, oh, interesting. What is that thing? And then I look at it, I'm like, oh, I guess kind of it's like this, but like it's got its own DNA, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it's it's not surprising though. I mean, it, it happens in research, right? Like you have people who are parallel working on something because something has happened that unblocks that. So it's going to trigger similar ideas in a lot of people. But when they come up at the end, they're going to be very different things, right? My analogy is always like, you know, if, if you and I are like, hey, let's paint the, the, the face of a person and just say, like, I describe the, the face, I bet you and I are going to paint it differently, right? Even though we're trying to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. I guess what caused you to actually start a, a company around Lightning? What was, what was that journey like? Very interesting because the first adopter of Lightning was Facebook, right? And that kind of got us enterprise features very quickly. I mean, I was really annoyed because I was literally trying to do my PhD. I was like, you know, we have this thing internally called workplace where people message each other. Mm -hmm. And I kept getting pinged by like the, the Facebook team, not at FAIR, like the actual people building, you know, all the, all the fun stuff. And then uh, I didn't check this thing. Again, I was like, literally, I mean, you know, we, we've uh, we, we've tried to exchange emails. You know, I'm not the, the best at emails, right? So, <laughs> so I, I haven't, uh, so I hadn't checked this thing literally for like four months. And then my manager came in and was like, dude, you have to check Workplace. I was like, why? <laughs> and then it's these, uh, these Facebook teams being like, hey, we want to use your thing. I'm like, dude, it's a PhD project. Why would you want to do that, right? <laughs> and they're like, no, it's okay. We'll help you make it better. I was like, fine. And so they they took it and um, started working on it, and you know we've we've been super tied with the team since then. Um, but then it was like crazy because then big companies started using it immediately. It was like someone would submit a PR and they're like, "Hey, can you fix this?" I'm like, "No, I'm not doing I don't know FFT research or whatever you're doing. I don't want to fix that." And they're like, "But I'm a Bloomberg." I'm like, "That's cool. All right, I guess I should help you out, right?" <laughs> And so then, you know, as a developer, that's the best thing. You're like, cool, my stuff's being used for real. Like, that's great. So I think when, when I had like hundreds of these, I was like, okay, well, these people are really struggling with this bigger problem, which is what we just launched, right? So let's go ahead and really solve that problem in a meaningful way. But, uh, you know, it turned out that you couldn't do it alone and you needed a ton of money and people and so on. And so that's, that's how we ended up here. And I guess what year was that? Was that 2019? Yeah, that was summer of 2019. Um, and then I left Facebook in December of 2019. So started the company January 2020, January two 2020. months before COVID, right? So Lucas, yeah, you, you built a few companies. You've been successful. And uh, I'm sure you know how hard it is to build during COVID. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I mean, actually, here we are, summer 2022. How, how big is your company? Yeah, good question. So we're about 60 people now um, all over the world. And yeah, I think we've mostly clustered around New York, San Francisco, and London. And then we have people kind of everywhere else. Um, I will say one thing that I'm really proud of in the company. It's um, again, I'm, I'm not from the US. I'm not from Silicon Valley. So um, I think that that's kind of been the DNA of the company now. Like we have a ton of people from like 20 different countries. And it's amazing because everyone speaks all these languages. And 
and it's pretty cool. It's uh, you know, it feels pretty international. So I, th I think for like a New York startup, this is great. It's like exactly what you want, right? That melting pot. <laughs> That's awesome. It, what has the experience been like to to go from kind of a, like a researcher, solar developer to like suddenly running like a really significantly large um, company? Do you find time to um, to think to to write code on your own still? Yeah, good question. Maybe I'll ask you this: Don't you feel like building a company is kind of like doing research? There are a lot of parallels, no? I, you know, I do think there's some parallels, but you go first. Tell me what you think the parallels are. Yeah, so, you know, what are you doing in research? So you have a, you have a hypothesis, and you're proven wrong most of the time, and you got to just try something quickly and then move on to the next thing and, and try ideas, ideas, and so on until you find something that works, right? And then you dig into it. That's no different than a company, right? Um, the, the difference is you have to do it through people, which is really hard, right? So... You, you, it's not just a solo person building. And I think people forget this, right? It's like, if you want to build anything meaningful, you have to have a team. You cannot do it alone. I'm for, At this point, I, I have to tell you, like I just said that Lightning took about five years to to go live. If I had been working with this team, it probably would have been, I put I could have gotten there in a year, right? Because it's a lot faster when you have really smart people around you and you're working together. So I, I don't love this notion of like the solo, whatever, who did whatever that doesn't work guys. Like I, I don't do that. Right. So um, it, it's, it's, it's been amazing. So you have to build a company through people and that's really hard to do. Right. So people management, um, taking a vision and, and getting everyone to, you know, go towards that same vision where they don't even know what the output's going to look like. That's really hard. Right. Cause you're asking 60 people to just dismiss disbelief and say, you know what, fine, we're going for it. And when we get there, we'll see what it is. Right. And so you have to trade that off a lot as a leader. And I think, honestly, you know, spending the first six years in the military, um, you know, even though I, I, I didn't do all the SEAL training that everyone does and then I become a full SEAL, but the stuff that I did go through, uh, especially leading small teams and training and and, um, and at the, the SEAL team actually did translate really well, right? It's like, how do you get a, an aggressive bunch of people to, you know, go towards a goal really fast when you have no information and you have limited resources, right? It's like, perfect. <laughs> Well, that's really cool. Like, tell me more about that. I'm really curious. What are some of the sort of things that you learned about leadership in the military that you applied to running um, your company? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, if you show up to to buds as a as a junior officer, right? So I was 20 when I when I started SEAL training. Um, you know, I got put in charge of a 300 person class. Like, that's crazy, right? And so you have to be accountable for everything, all their gear, where they are. And it's like all 18, 19 year olds, they're all getting in trouble out in town. They're all doing really silly things, right? So you're having to deal with a ton of people issues. Um, and it's, you're like 20, you're like learning on the job, right? Uh, and then you show up to your first SEAL team and then you're, you're like put in charge of a team. And those guys have been there for 30, 40 years. They're so much better than you in every possible way, right? So if you show up trying to teach, yeah, you feel like, hey, I'm here, I'm like big bad boss, I'm going to do whatever, you're done, right? That's not how it works. So I think specifically, I, I can't speak for the whole military, but I can say in the SEAL teams and special operations, you're taught to lead from the front, right? So as an officer, you're supposed to be the fastest runner, the best swimmer, all of that, because you're always leading from the front, right? And so that that I still carry that here, right? So that's why I, I'm not like coding all the time right now, but I do like do want the team to be at a specific level, right? And I can get there because I can push the team. So I think it's a lot about that. And it's a mentality that if I'm going through that door, I'm going first, right? And I'm going to be there first always, right? And so a lot of those lessons carry over. Um, so it's, uh, there are a bunch of civilian terms for this, whatever leadership is called, but you know, that's kind of ingrained in me since like I was 20, basically. That's really interesting. Do you think there's any like 
really striking differences about managing um, a, a company of like, you know, mostly highly technical people distributed around the world that you were surprised by that's different than, than, you know, leading a team of, um, you know, 18 and 19 year olds? Yeah, I mean, uh, for sure. So in the military, it's very like dictatorial, I guess. You like you make a decision and that's it. There's no there's no question, right? No one questions or anything like that. Um, you of course take people's input and everyone has that, but at the end of the day, you say something and it just happens, right? And there's no like second guessing, whatever. In the civilian world, oh my God, there's questions and this and that and blah, right? And so like you have to really learn how to uh, to, to live in that world. So it's been fascinating. I think the 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 fears that I spent in finance were the best kind of middle ground, right? And I actually think a lot of veterans have a hard time adjusting to the civilian world, probably for the reason right because um the way you do things in the military is just so different so you can't approach people that way you have to learn the eq right so in, in finance it's kind of this hybrid like super aggressive ground but you still have to learn how to talk to people and so uh if any veterans are watching this i would urge you to go to finance first so you can learn a soft landing and then go into tech because you know in tech you're dealing with designers and creatives and people are very different there <laughs> That's awesome. Do you think there's um, you have any role to play? This is a total aside. I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on this. But do you, you know? Sometimes I feel like, at least in Silicon Valley, there's often like a lot of friction between you know military and tech, um, like working together. Do you think about that at all? Like, do you hope that you know there's military applications of of lightning, and and do you think you can like play a translation role, or how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, look, I um. I think that specifically AI and um, in the military are like the two, everyone's like autonomous weapons, blah, right? Like that's what everyone jumps to. And like, yes, that is an extreme use of it for sure. And that's not a use that I want to support, right? I don't think any of us want to support that, especially having been in some situations where like it's pretty clear that you don't want to enable more of that, right? But I think what pe don't, people don't understand is that some of these tools can be used in also positive ways, right? Um, like there are ways where, you could, for example, I don't know, I mean, I don't even want to get into it because people are going to judge all the parts, right? But th there's ways that you can use it still in a, in a good way, translation, right? You're in the field and you're meeting someone in a new village and you can't speak to them, right? How do you do that? And how do you, you know, a lot of what we, a lot of what the military has done uh, during the war has been around, uh, you know, winning hearts and minds uh, in, in Afghanistan and, and Iraq. And that's really making those connections with villagers and trying to understand what happens and trying to rebuild countries and so on, right? Um, and I think that a lot of AI could actually facilitate a lot of these things, right? Casualties, when you have casualties and you need to call something out, maybe the person can't speak, right? So translating or something. So there's some great applications of it, but it's like anything. Like, yes, can the internet be used to find your long lost you know, family, of course it can, but can it be used to traffic people? Yes, it can. So what are you going to do? Shut it down? You know, like it's hard. <laughs> it's, there's not a simple answer, right? All right. So tell me about the new Lightning website. What's the best way to, to talk about it? Lightning, the, the operating system. I, I'm curious yeah. to know how you conceived of it and, and how you built it. It's such an impressive launch with some very impressive um, demos. I'd love to know about the process and your vision here. Yeah, for sure. So if you go to lightning.ai today, you're going to see our, the new homepage for the Lightning community, right? So I think the first thing to note is, 
you know, PyTorch Lightning has grown. The project is no longer called PyTorch Lightning. It's called Lightning now, right? Because when it was just PyTorch Lightning, it let you do one thing, which is build models. So that's cool, except that when you build that model, there's a ton of other stuff you have to do around it. You, you need to, you know, wrangle data and you have feature stores. You need to manage experiments, right? You need to do a lot of the stuff that you guys are doing, analyze it, understand what's going on. So um, what we are now enabling the framework to do, so the framework is now Lightning, it enables you to build models, still you can do that, but now when you want to build research workflows or production pipelines, you can now do that within the framework as well in the Lightning way, right? And what we really want to do is allow people to connect, the, to stitch together the best tools in class. So we're really thinking about it as like kind of the glue for machine learning, right? So if I want to use weights and biases, feature X with this other thing, I should be able to, right? And what we, so really, I think you should think about us like Apple, like we're really up introducing kind of the iPhone equivalents, right? So that people can build apps on there so they can build their own apps and publish them. Um, but these apps are extremely complex workflows, right? They're not just demos or something like that. These are actual end-to-end uh, production um, workflows or research workflows that can run in distributed cloud environments, right? But they stitch together the best-in-class tools. So Lightning AI today is really the page for where these apps get published. So if you're trying to start a new machine learning project, you can go there, find something similar to what you're working on, run it on your infrastructure very quickly within minutes, and then change the code and off you go, right? And so I think some of the things that I'm super excited about, and you and I have chatted about a lot about this, is what are some of those integrations we can do with partners, right? And so what are some of the great tools that we can enable, for example, from weights and biases there so that people can embed into their apps in really cool ways that probably are not possible today, right? And so it's, it's really around that. I think I'd like to partner with every single framework and every single uh, tool out there to help them shine and really provide the best capabilities uh, of what they have for the community, right? So that, I think that's what we're, we're shooting for. And I guess, um, how long has this been in the works? Like, how did you, like, I mean, it seems like a pretty different vision, as I understand it, than, you know, PyTorch Lightning when it, when it first came out. Like, how did you come to it? And was this always on your mind ever since you started the company? Yeah, for sure. So that, that was definitely a vision from day one. Um, it's just, it's really hard to build up front. So you really have to do the work for it. But, um, you know, that's how Lightning kind of, sorry, PyTorch Lightning had already kind of started to do a lot of this. I mean, you, you, we were some of the first early partners there, right? So at the, when, when PyTorch Lightning first launched, uh, you know, we have to go back to 2019, you know, I don't know, May, June, whatever it was, you had frameworks that were running. And if you wanted to, watch your experiments or something, um, it was really hard to do, right? You had to like integrate something. And so you had TensorBoard. I think you guys were probably live by then, I assume. Um, and it was like no one knew about these things because they weren't there, right? They weren't easy to use. And so one of the first things we did was uh, I personally used TensorBoard, right? So I used it back then. And uh, I was like, hey, you know what? I don't want to start it out myself. Let me just let this thing do it. And so we started integrating that in there. And then very quickly, you know, your users started coming by and saying, hey, can we add weights and biases and so on? And then we kind of came up with these abstractions and then suddenly people could use it implicitly. And that was amazing, right? Because it started to stitch together tools. So that vision started back then already, right? And then if you look at the accelerators, right? So we wrote this API called Accelerate, which lets you train on different hardware. This is back summer 2020. 
um, and it powers all of Lightning, but that's that's what it is, right? It allows you to go between CPUs and GPUs and TPUs. And I think we were the first framework to actually let you do that seamlessly, right? So PyTorch supported XLA for TPUs and supported GPUs, but you have to rewrite your code over and over again, right? So we introduced for the first time the ability to go between GPU and TPU just like that, right? And that really changed the game. And so that's been amazing because that was an integration. So it started to become a platform back then, right? And so kind of the for, for me was, okay, how, do, how can we do more of this except that in the model, you're very limited to just these kind of things, right? But when you start talking about feature stores and deployments and all that stuff, you need something a little bit higher level. And again, I'm lazy and I, I hate learning new things. So I was like, okay, how do we make it just as easy as Lightning so that if you know PyTorch Lightning, you already know how to build production systems. And so that's kind of what we released. And the hard part was getting it to exactly be like Lightning. What is that DNA? How, do, how does the user experience feel like? I'm curious how you think about product development and customer feedback. Like it felt like you, you know, kind of created a lot, like, you know, from your own vision, like how much of what you do is sort of like informed by your gut and how much of it is coming from, you know, like a user saying like, Hey, like X, Y, Z, like, could you make something that does this or this or this? How do, how do you think, what's your product development process look like? Yeah. So I think I'm probably the worst uh, person to ask this because I don't care what anyone's doing. I legitimately don't. I don't look at what people are doing. I don't care, right? We're going to do what we're going to do, and we, we, we're going to do things that I think are interesting. And so we're going to basically form a thesis around something that we want to do, and we'll see the behavior in the users, of course, right? Um, but if you, if you only talk to users, we speak to users all the time, by the way, right? So it's not about that. We take their feedback in. But users are always going to tell you kind of incremental things. They're always going to tell you they want this better. They're never going to tell you they want the iPhone. They're always going to tell you, can you make my BlackBerry keyboard slide out instead or whatever, right? So, so you have to have just a different mentality there where you take things with a grain of salt and you do take their inputs, but it's really, those inputs are going to usually improve the product, but they're not going to help you become like generate, um, create like a leapfrog product, right? And so that's really where, again, I just don't care what people are working on. I'm just going to do what, what I think should be done for machine learning. Learning, and that's what we build next, right? And um, sometimes we're wrong and sometimes we're right, right? <laughs> do you think it's important to hire people with a machine learning background to do the kind of work that you do? Or do you look for people with, um, you know, kind of more like an operational or like engineering or database uh, background? So I guess first and foremost, I care that people are creative, driven, and interesting in some way, like they just have interests and they're like not just the same kind of cookie cutter persona. So that's the first thing, right? Then after that, yes, I want you to be good at your thing, whatever your thing is, right? Um, now, specifically in machine learning, like, yeah, it's nice to have, please, by all means, I hope you know what you're doing with it. If you're on the lighting team, you 1000% need to know, and every single person on the lighting team is a PhD or came out of a PhD program, so they're all experts in this stuff. But everyone else who's around that, um, I just want you to be really good at your thing. And I don't care how you got that knowledge, right? I don't care. Like, remember, I, I didn't go, well, I eventually went to fancy schools, but for like most of my life, I hadn't, right? And so I, I didn't, didn't really care about that. Um, so, so yeah, I think machine learning is not necessarily a deal breaker. It just depends on your particular role, right? Now, I could be wrong. How does the Maybe. Lightning team fit into the broader company team? What's the what's the distinction there? 
Yeah, so the Lightning team works on all the open source stuff, and then we have people who work on all the closed source stuff, right? So when you run um, Lightning apps on your own, you're using all the free stuff. When you run it on the cloud, that's when you use some private proprietary stuff, right? So you can take a Lightning app, you fork the code, even models and all that stuff, you run them locally, but if you want to run them on the cloud, you say dash dash cloud, and then that stuff is now being done, b- b- being built by the other people who are not Lightning teams people, right? And these people are infrastructure people, they're database people, they're from all sorts of walks of life, I guess. And I think that, you know, diversity is always better in this world because there's just a lot of knowns. And you and I know, you know, both know this, that like ML is evolving. Like we just don't know what's going to need to be built next, right? So we kind of have to have our research hats on a little bit. Are there like top of mind applications that you hope get built on your on your Lightning platform right away? Like what are the next things that you're excited about? Yeah, so I think, I mean, top of mind right now is a few of these key partners that we've been working with for a long time, like you guys, where we want to make the tools just more widely adopted and bring more visibility to them and have the ability for people to mix and match and more, right? So it's really about these immediate partners. Some of these include cloud providers, some of these include um, like the hardware pro- makers and so on. It's people that we've had really good relationships for a long time. So it's about enabling those tools to work first, right? Um, in terms of capabilities, I do think that we do want to pr- make sure that people have a really good way to, um, I don't know, to do inferencing, for example, right? So we're partnering with the cloud providers to do that, like SageMaker team and so on. And then um, I think for people who want to do anything with data, right? So love to partner with like the Snowflakes and the and the um, data bricks of the world to enable these things as well. And, um, and then there's all the labeling things that people are starting to do as well, right? So I don't know if you guys are doing anything there, but obviously, you know, happy to partner in any, any of these. But um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's those things that are immediately around the model development part, right? There's a lot more that we can do, but we really want to focus on, on this part first. Would you ever work with frameworks that aren't PyTorch, like do like a scikit integration or XGBoost or anything like that? Is, is that within scope? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, people, it's crazy. People use Lightning for all sorts of stuff, but people have actually ran SKLearn in Lightning. I don't even know how they did that. That's awesome. Uh, but I, yeah, I was like, how are you doing this? <laughs> so yeah, honestly, I love to integrate all the frameworks. Like, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm long PyTorch in general, but I, I don't have anything against TensorFlow and Jax and Keras or any of these things, right? So I think any partnerships there, we're happy to obviously work with and enable the tools as well. Like, again, I think that we, we really evolved from where we were before to a point where we're saying, okay, now that we're able to support a lot more than we could. And it, before, it's just a f- function of having bandwidth, right? Uh, now that we can support a lot more than we could, uh, we want to do that, right? And make sure we welcome these partners as well. So yeah, we're, we're happy to work with any framework. I'm just curious, why are you long uh, PyTorch over, over the long term? Um, I think that, you know, a lot of, a lot of these frameworks have converged. Um, in functionality, I guess. I haven't gone back and used TensorFlow, and I think it's probably changed quite a bit. Um, you know, we just done so much work already in PyTorch that I think we're just excited to continue improving that user experience. I think if Google wanted to partner with these other ones, like we'd be happy to do that as well. Um, but I kind of believe that you can't really do everything well. And so um, it's a function of having focus as well as a company. And um, anything in particular in PyTorch, I think it's really become the standard for research um, and also production nowadays. 
And um, and I yeah, I firmly believe that that team has done a really good job at continuing to push the boundaries. So um, I think that the energy, the the way that the team thinks about things and how it's approached, even doing uh, production workloads and inference, it's just very unique and different. And I don't know, I like I like unique and different thinking. I guess so. I gravitate towards that. <laughs> I guess one of the things that I struggle with as we scale our company and our team, um, you know, we hire all these like really creative, smart people that have, um, you know, slightly different points of view and vision and stuff and like kind of keeping things aligned and keeping um, consistency always feels like, you know, like a lot of work to me. I'm curious how you've dealt with that, if, if that seems like if that's been an issue for you as you scaled up to, to 60 people. Yeah, I think. Um... I, you know, I think you always want to take everyone's input into account, but you also want to be opinionated. And that's the difference, right? And I think that when everyone just says whatever and then they'll do whatever they want, then you end up with something that isn't really cohesive, right? And so to some extent, you got to be a little bad, of the bad guy and just say, hey, you know what? Cool. I get it. But like, we're going to go this way, right? And that that's just the way it is. Um, and it's, it's a lot of these micro decisions that get made. It's not just me, right? It's people on the team where I encourage them to be opinionated. And so, you know, it's kind of the same philosophy that we have for lightning. It's like, cool. You don't like subclassing things. Cool. Sounds good. Go use something else. We don't care. Right. (laughs) This is the way that we think it should be built and that's fine. Mm. Well, look, we always end with two questions and I want to make sure we, we get to them. So the, the second to last question is, um, if you had a little more time on your hands or, or, um, I guess, you know, if you had time to work on on something else in, in ML research broadly, um, what would it be? Yeah. So uh, if I were back to doing just research right now, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I would have continued on the self-supervised learning route. So I still track that work. Um, I, I believe that, you know, we published a paper about this like a year ago. So I'm going to talk about that. But I believe that a lot of the the things that have been pushed into self-supervised learning, a lot of those advancements are actually not necessarily being driven by the methods, you know, like negative sample this versus that. I think it's actually being driven by the transforms, right? And um, and so the paper that we published a while back, I would have continued on this line is my, is my answer, I guess. Um, the paper that we published a while back showed that we could achieve very similar performance to like SimClear using a plain VAE without any of the fancy tricks. And actually we removed one of the, the terms of the elbow loss. And, um, and why we could do that is because we took the SimClear transforms and used them, right? But then the way that we generated the negative samples was using the transforms and then you reconstruct the original, right? And so that actually created a really good learning signal. And what that showed me and showed our, our group as well was that, you know, it's not about the fancy negative sampling algorithm and whatever thing you're doing with, I don't know, information theory, whatever thing you're coming up with. It's that I think that we're just embedding most of these things into the transforms and the transforms are actually pulling the weight, which actually is kind of in line with what the data scientists have been saying forever. It's about the data, right? It is about the data. So it turns out that we've just pushed all that knowledge into transforms now for images specifically. And uh, so I'm a little bit sad about that, but at a minimum, I think like I would I, I would probably continue down that route, exploring how can I how can I reduce the complexity of these algorithms? I, I don't I don't want these tricks. I don't want these like weird learning rate schedulers and all this stuff. I want the super simple like PAE loss or something super basic that I know why it works and I can pinpoint exactly why it's doing what it's doing. And I think self-supervised learning has kind of lost its way in that most of these papers are like brand new paper that does this. And it's like, oh, they changed this one tiny term. And it's like, come on, guys. 
Interesting. Um, well, my last question is when you look at um, people that are trying to make machine learning work for, for real stuff, like, you know, companies like, you know, Facebook or Bloomberg or anyone, um, and they're kind of going from like, here's an idea of something we want to apply machine learning to, to like deployed and working in production. Where do you see the biggest bottleneck right now in summer 2022? You know, it's like that meme where it's like, Re- expectation and reality it's i think that's what we we see all the time <laughs> yeah why though <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah you know i think there's a lot of like we we're just unknown like the thing is so new that you stress test it in a production system and things break and you're like ah my chatbot's racist or something you're like yeah well no one's deployed a chatbot before so of course you're gonna learn that lesson right so there's a lot of new unknowns that we're discovering um, but I think uh, I think a lot of it is the explosion of tooling that's out there and the lack of a standard on how to use that tooling together, right? So I think that's a lot of what's holding us back today. Um, you know, I, I think there are many ways to solve that problem. Uh, I think that we're obviously taking a stab at that with the, the things that we've just introduced. Um, and so I, I honestly think that's a, a big part of it. Um, now, I, I believe that that's only a part of it. I think that the other ones are, um, yeah, this fragmentation, like... You know, you, you, everyone wants you to go from this to that, to that, to that, and then use this Onyx thing and then with this thing and that. And it's just like, ah, right. Like if we just have a standard and everyone works together, we can actually do well. I, I honestly think there's like a, a super unhealthy, like weird competitive thing in ML. Like guys, this is a massive market. There's a ton of people who are going to pay for this thing. Like it's not about one or the other tool. Everyone's using all the tools together, right? And so so this unhealthy competition thing, it's actually causing a lot of these problems, right? I think actually if the community worked together more and we had better communication and collaboration between frameworks and between open source projects and, and, and you know, um, tools like you guys, then, um, then things would be a lot easier because we'd be speaking to each other and then some, some random engineer uh, sitting in like Facebook doesn't have to waste six months being like, man, if they just did this one thing, it could have been so much easier, right? <laughs> awesome. Well, so I hope like, we can find some ways to, to work together. <laughs> yeah. Just think of that one. Just think of that person. Just be like, I will get you your career back. Don't worry, right? That, that's the goal. All right, if you're listening, <laughs> we're, we're rooting for you. <laughs> we'll make it work for you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Will. Real pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is super fun. Um, And by the way, I'm a big fan of everything you guys are doing. So I appreciate everything you've done for, for the ML community as well. Awesome. Likewise. If you're enjoying these interviews and you want to learn more, please click on the link to the show notes in the description where you can find links to all the papers that are mentioned, supplemental material, and a transcription that we work really hard to produce. So check it out.